morning, Soraya. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great. We are up to, I think, episode 192. Ooh, Chad. I'm mistaken. Somewhere around there. And this is the last of our 2023 a new release roundup series. Yes, sir. And we've covered so far the Bengals. Yeah. When we had Vicky and John on talking about Action Skulls, the Dream Syndicate ish, when we were talking to Steve Wynn about Journeyman. And right. Last, last week we did Rain Parade talking about their album from 2023, Last Rays of a Dying Sun with Matt Pucci and Stephen Robeck. So, what does that leave us? Well, of course, that leaves us with the three o'clock. The three o'clock, yes. And so, since we're talking about a new release roundup, was there a new release from the band? Yes, because it was remastered, 16 Tambourines. Yes. Rock Records. Yes. With new cover cover photos. We'll talk about that. Oh, yeah. That gets talked about. Um, but also, you know, we get to talking about the great Bill Inglot and his work um, on this remastered version. And also, we are joined by, of course, Danny Benair. Michael Curcio and brief appearance by Luis Gutierrez. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and this, this was a great discussion. Back didn't make the call, did he? No, Mickey Mariano. Not this time. Not this time. We've been fortunate to have Mickey on yes. once. And yeah. and I hope he always knows that the door is always open for him to come back and talk about anything he wants to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I really like this this reissue. Oh. Um the cover notwithstanding, but the it sounds fantastic. And um, we did ask out, uh, Soraya, you and I both have multiple copies of this album because it's one of our favorite albums of all time by any band, period. Right. So we did ask why, why, why anybody needs this particular version. And I think we got a pretty good answer on that. I think it's a great discussion for any three o'clock fan. This discussion around this remaster project uh, this is worth a listen and worth your time, and we can't wait to share it with you. So, Jeff, I say we jump into it. Let's do it. Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agroviar. Let's get groovy. All right, let's do it. So, Jeff, why don't you let our listeners know who has joined us today? So, Soraya, we're very excited to have back Danny Venner and Michael Corsio of the Three O'Clock and of many other projects. But today we're talking about a Three O'Clock project um, because there's a new release, a really yes. new release. This guy. Or, or this guy. Or if you have. Oh, what this, do you got, Soraya? This gorgeous. There you go. The vinyl. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Incredible. Welcome, guys, to the show. Hey, one second. I'll be right there again. I got an issue. <laughs> All right. And of course, Marty Van B. Yeah. Uns- not signed. What happened to his signature? Hey, Sorry. Marty oh, Van oh. B is a private guy. 
I think that's part of our conversation uh, to answer all those questions. Oh, well, we do have some questions. There's all there's answers to everything. See, because in the original. Oh, we know. I, we know. All right. All right. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> one thing I can say before as we start. Um, besides the record, which Michael and I love, um, there, there's a lot of things about the, the compiling of the actual thing you were holding in your hand, Soraya, that um, were sort of a surprise to us, so. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk about that. So, so one of the questions we want to start out with, thank you, Danny, is why, I mean, Jeff and I were comparing, Jeff has seven versions, I have uh, four of 16 tambourines, and we're wondering why should fans buy this version? David, we asked David Shaw, and he said, this is the definitive version of 16 tambourines. Do you agree with that? Yes, uh, this is the uh, remastered by Bill Inglot, incredibly. Uh, this is uh, everything kind of put to right. Uh, it's the look more that we wanted the record to look like and be. We never wanted the cover. That was that was a complete mishap. Um, I never had any idea that Marty Van Buren was going to autograph that. That was complete surprise. That was Lisa from Frontier who just did that. And uh, yeah, so this is everything put together, you know, and then remastered wonderfully, really, by Bill Ingla, who was there at the time and knew the band, the old friend. And and so it all and now he's like this, you know, he does Fleetwood Mac and all the superstars. So um I don't know, Danny, what do you what do you say? Yeah, I mean definitive is as definitive as today is. I mean, 10 years from now, who knows? Yeah, who knows? But no, I actually don't believe it's ever been remastered since the day it was made. So it just, you know, it came out on CD, it came out on vinyl, then it was put on colored vinyl, nothing was done. It was just taken off the original stampers. Um, so I believe, I believe sonically, Michael and I, when we listened to the te uh, test pressing and we weren't gloating about it because we were in the band, I, I think we genuinely both believed that, um, it sounded really great. And it, the thing we always, I think we always felt about the record was its warmth and we wanted to make sure that, that, that was there and also I think we both believe that the record is sort of novel in the sense that it's we're in our own little world when we make that record. It's not really like, well, we've got to do this or we got to do that because it's not that. And it came out, at, I think, the first few weeks, you know, people were like, what did they do? You know, but to answer your question, yes, I think for today it is the definitive version. Well, I mean, the, uh, um, for instance, sonically, Apart from the actual Frontier release, original release, you know, the American, I guess you want to call it, yeah, there are other, there's a French version, there's a Japanese version, as you know. Okay. Now, I do not know what sources those come from, the Japanese and the French. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe, I don't know if Lisa Fancher sent the original master tapes across the ocean. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Right. I don't know at the time 
how those were referenced. Probably a tape copy would be my guess. You know, I don't think it, I don't think it, I think it was a secondary source. I think they're secondary sources. Oh, that doesn't necessarily bad. I mean, it depends on your ear, but um, I think that, you know, so that I've heard those and I, I, I can hear that they're secondary sources. Okay. To my ear. Well, it looks like we have another guest joining us. And I sonically, I, the bill, the modern build Inglot uh, thing to me is, is my favorite. So. Okay. And the vinyl being pressed, you know, that was, I think, really important too. Yeah. So I would, I, having listened to the the new remastered version, I have to say, sonically, it's the best sounding version. Um, I'm glad. Hey, Lewis, welcome. Hey. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> glad that you can join this conversation. We we're just talking about the remastered version of 16 Tambourines. And we have some questions for you coming up. As you guys know, um, 16 Tambourines for me is one of the greatest albums ever, ever issued, period. I just, I have so many um, emotions connected to this album. It's, the songs in here are all fantastic. It's a perfect album, in my opinion. That's why I now have eight copies of the vinyl, <laughs> anything. Um, but I wanted to address the cover. So... 40 years I've looked at this cover and I have a lot of emotions tied to this specific cover. So, so, do, so do we. <laughs> well, for different reasons. I know that, that you guys are unhappy with it. When I first saw this, I have to admit it was kind of unsettling to see 16 tambourines look different. Why? I, we know that you were unhappy with the original cover. Why did you make such a drastic change to the cover? I well, would thought you might have like had the same format and changed the photo but you totally redid everything why is that well okay i'll start and then anybody should come in i guess this when we made the record we spent all the time it was the most selfless act within the band we ever had i think it was the most communal way we made a record when it came to the photos we used a person we genuinely really liked but we were under a very strict time frame uh, to get this record done, get it uh, pressed, because we were going on the road. And we went to Lisa Fancher's apartment and we just looked at slides on the wall. And we picked, we picked, I think, you know, a, the photo for the cover and we picked some uh, photos for the solo shots. And I believe, you know, because we, at that very moment, we were rehearsing a lot, which we always did, but we, we had a long tour and I, I believe we thought we were going to get um, proofs. And we never got anything. So I'm at Lisa's and the record is there. And I open it and I call Michael. Michael's heard this a thousand times, maybe Lewis 500. Um, and I open it and I said, oh my God, it looks like it, it, it's a dartboard. And he was like, well, Michael's like, what do you mean? I said, it's the worst album cover ever. And he's like, huh? <laughs> he has this very funny laugh if you hang out, kind of a nervous laugh. And he's like, oh, no, it's not. I said, you just won't believe, you know, how it sits on the page because it they didn't structure it with all of a sudden it's just a white at the top and the photo. And then later that day, I saw Michael and I believe Lewis. And I, I'm not sure exactly Lewis can give his two cents on what he felt at the time. But I, I know Michael and I were truly 
you know, Mickey, Mickey with his shirt unbuttoned off in the corner, out of focus, looking nervous. It just always, and there were so many better, it's the funny part, I just want to say is the funny part is when you look through the slides, there's so many better photos. Even the foreign one you have where, you know, where Mickey's sitting closer, it's just, that's a better photo. It, it, it you know, so that's what I'm going to say. That's how it came to that. And I mean, that's a better photo. And um, we, the first thing we tried to do with Yeprock, Michael and I tried to resuscitate the cover with David Shaw. We worked on it with their art director. Huh. And it, those, the pictures that are on the new cover, those are from uh, the promo session photo, 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 photograph photographer. The pictures we took for the for a promo shots for the album itself. I think they might have even been taken in between recording sessions. Uh, we all met in on La Brea or somewhere like that, Melrose or something. I think it was on East Melrose. Melrose, and it was somebody somebody's art studio or something. And we only used the for the poster, and I think that for the LA Reader used one. They were photos from the inside, and then I found when Lisa Fans was like, "Take all this stuff. I don't want anything of yours." I found just this photo session and it made no sense. I mean, it was like, why do I have this? And it was, all of it was, was all the outdoor photos. And so Mike, Michael and I started um, getting in a um, conversation about what a better photo. And so Michael liked one, I liked another. And then I just kind of blurted out, why don't we have two album covers on the same cover? And, uh, David liked it. Michael liked it. I liked it. Lewis was didn't. He was like, "You guys do what you want to do," as did Mickey, and um, and so we sort of tried to make a novel album cover where you decide which cover is the front. And Ronnie Barnett, of course, will tell you we blew it, but that's uh, good for Ronnie. With that said, Lewis, yes, I hear what Lewis thinks of the cover. <laughs> yeah, Lewis, we wanted to know what you thought about the cover and and memories of the photo shoot. Um, okay, well, uh, I remember about the original cover, it was rushed, and we went to a photo studio with our friend uh, Chris Hastings, who did a lot of our early photographs, shot the cover of Broco Down, and he got the cover of uh, 16 Tambourines, and I'm still friends with him today, um, and I remember Danny at one point, or maybe it was Mickey, saying that there's like this interrogation lamp above us. Uh, on the cover of 16 Brains. I, I never thought it was a bad cover. I never thought it was a great cover, but if you look at the Salvation Army record cover, which was very colorful and, and and you know, there's a lot to look at and it just was shiny and, and pretty. And then Broke Hoedown was similarly attractive. This was a departure for sure. So it was more stark and um, and simple. That was the way I always related to that, to 16 Tambourines cover. This one, as Danny said, I didn't have any relationship with it, with any anything about this record. Um, I had forgotten about those photographs. I knew that they were the, they were outtakes from what became like our poster for 16 Tambourines. Um, 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 I guess I thought it was a bit odd that it didn't say the name of the band on the cover. Um, I, I got the sort of upside down dual 
dual cover idea, but I don't know. I was sort of, you know, it, they're, it's an interesting photo to me because I'm in the picture. And so that's <laughs> my relationship with it, to be perfectly honest. You look great, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, was, also I, was really, I was like 19 or I was like 21 and I'm now 60. Yeah, so yeah. anybody looks great at 19 or 21. Louis, do you I remember mean, the, the photos? The, oh, sorry, Danny. Go ahead. Oh, I, I just think that, um, and it probably came really from Michael, but I think it was like, we made this very, I mean, I think I kidded at the time. It looked like, uh, you know, we were stockbrokers or something, you know, Lewis, Lewis is getting ready for his future world. He doesn't even we know. Purposely, it. We purposely didn't want to be psychedelic or paisley because that was so putting, getting put on us as a moniker. And we put, Danny and I purposely said, we're going to wear plain white shirts. And Lewis showed up like he just came out of a 1960 frat party, got his hair cut and everything. And, and we definitely were not trying to be, you know, we wanted to not be Paisley. I re, at least I, that's how I remember it. Yeah, no, I remember. I, I remember at the time saying something like we were. I felt like we were stockbrokers, you and me, Michael. And Lewis looked. Lewis looked sort of. Uh, you know, he had the tie, and of course, Mickey didn't get it. You know, Mickey forgot and didn't come with a button-up shirt. Um, I, I would have explained it differently. I would have explained it that we were. We knew we were part of the mod scene in Los Angeles. And we were definitely pegged to that. We were not, we were thinking less psychedelic, more um, modified mod. I don't know how to put it. I mean, it was like we, and and I think uh, I think I think that was sort of the look of the band at that time: button-down shirts, still peg pants, pointy shoes, but um, definitely less uh, less frilly than the than the previous pictures. You know, so that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's a com probably a combination of what Lewis said. I mean, and Michael, uh, but you know, we, we we definitely you don't see anything paisley on it. You know, and that was, and it doesn't mean like I think live we were still dressing in all kinds of clothes. But um, so yeah, and that was kind of. I mean, I just stumbled upon that photo, those slides, like a couple months before we were going to do the record, and it was just like I didn't even know I have them. They're great. They're great photos. And I'm glad, um, Danny, when you talk about how you did the flip cover, you guys went full on with this idea so much. So even with the spine mm -hmm. uh, being reversible and even as far as the CD where you could flip it either way. So it actually does work either way completely. So you guys. The, the, the flip open was supposed to be just a giant picture of me. I don't know what happened. <laughs> that must have got overridden by yeah, something. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Of uh, <laughs> course. Of course we did that. So, Soraya, we had questions about where we go from here, don't we? Well, we were wondering a couple of things. And we wanted to know, okay, so Yeprock has, has done a great job. They've re-released um, a single and an album, uh, Salvation Army, Baroque Down, and now 16 Tambourines. And we're curious, is there more? Is there more to come from Yep Rock? Or uh, what else can fans expect? Um, there, I mean, 
I have brought up Arrive Without Traveling with them, but there are no rights that they own after this. I mean, you know, it, it gets into diving into Universal. I mean, you know, and, and I'd love, I mean, Arrive was reissued once, obviously, on CD, but um, I would love to actually, and I think it's probably impossible because Universal is not really warm and fuzzy, but finding a way we could actually, you know, maybe hear the tapes and go go that way. But it's never, it's, you know, it was reissued probably from a, a second or third source on CD. But so I think that's, um, it's hard to say because Yep Rock would have to do, be aggressive about it. I mean, Michael and I talked about, we, we own, we have demos forever after, which sorry, does not include Lewis. I wish it did, but, um, and Michael, I've talked about that, but I'm I'm waiting to get them, and then Michael and I can like play play with them. Maybe Lewis will come in and he'll leave you the guitar. Um, but um, he didn't seem excited about that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that's something where we actually could be the rights owner. And uh, but there isn't anything definitive. I mean, sadly to say. So we were wondering also about that with licensing because Frontier um, released the full-length Salvation Army, Baroque Hoedown, and 16 Tambourines. New Alliance released the single. So did did Yep Rock have yeah, to I, license I, I, those? They're still. The Salvation Army was a limited, though, that came out as a uh, Record Store Day album on Orange Vinyl, was a very limited edition, unremastered. Oh. Um, um, there's a lot, and there's other, some other, that, that has yet to really be fully realized. Oh. The two singles that came out, the, the little four, also were very rushly, and those are from, those are not from remastered sources. Those still really have yet to be fully realized. Okay. Um, yeah, I know Danny's not part of those, um, but. Um, but I care. But I I want it done right, you know. We yeah. we Frontier does not own the rights to any of the Frontier product. Okay, it's now owned by the band and Yep Rock as a joint joint venture. But okay. uh, yeah, they they don't have any rights anymore. So um, we we got all those back, and uh, I you know I don't know if there's something where we'll go and do you know. That's something where we'd have to trove through some tapes and actually go through the odds and sods and see what's actually on the tapes. But they didn't want to venture that this time. They just wanted to sort of do, except for Baroque, they wanted to add like the French record. They didn't really want to go through any tapes and see, you know, if Lewis had done a different guitar solo or, I mean, there's there are versions of songs with Michael's different lyrics and stuff. So... I don't know. It's kind of very, you know, we're kind of at a uh, uh, point where I'm not sure there what what else we will do. My my answer to that, Jeff, is um, there are probably lots of demo tapes, like because we used to record all of our rehearsals, many of them, just to listen back to, and Danny would archive those things. I'm sure Danny has boxes of cassette tapes from rehearsals. I mean, that's one avenue. Perhaps uh, there might be some interesting things on there songs that never were completed or songs that took a different shape. Uh, I think Danny has a recording of Jet Fighter, like the day that we 
finish the song uh, uh, downstairs at my house. I mean, the only other thing, candidly, is a new record. Recording a new record is a long shot, although not an impossibility. We've talked about it. Um, but beyond that, I think just outtakes and demo tapes, possibly, uh, if there's an appetite for that sort of thing, I, I don't know. There definitely is an appetite, at least with... <laughs> There are two songs we played live and we have a radio session of, which certainly we could put out. We we have it. It doesn't have to rely on Yep Rock. I mean, there's, um, and they, they were played for a while, but it's it's early, like, bro down period. It's a song called Three Boys and When I'm a Telephone. Those, I have the radio session for Matt. Those, those exist. And I always really like, Lewis doesn't remember this. I know Michael does. The second day I, I joined the band, um, we worked on a song called Visions of Airplane Fairs. It sounds sort of like uh, it could be on uh, Forever Changes. Ooh. Lewis had sort of a uh, really nice guitar uh, picking thing um, that he did on it. Um, those, those. I mean, that's a song that is, the other two, that radio session exists. I mean, you could take those two and put them out as a 45 if you wanted to be archival, but um yeah, we have we definitely have some rehearsal tapes, but um, I don't. I mean, this is something a question for Michael and Lewis. I mean, it always seemed to me like Michael would come in with an idea, or Lewis would have maybe a piano idea, and then the song would just get built. I don't recall like, oh, I have a cassette. Let me play you this idea of Mike what Michael and Lewis were working on. I mean, Mickey did that with Jet Fighter. He had a demo of the riff of the uh, the da -na 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 -na. and that's he brought that in. He had that tape from a piano, but I go wild. I think he just came in and played the riff, and and then like Michael and Lewis kind of jumped from that. But um, I don't really recall you guys. Did you guys demo things at all? No, no, no. I, when I say demo, I don't mean go into a demo studio. I mean no, just I, right. But, but you know, like, but did like you an old. Even... An old an old cassette tape recorder where you just hit record and play record it so you can listen back to it. That's what I'm referring right. to. Right. Yeah. But I no, thought that's that, kind of what I don't a lot of that kind of stuff. I I think I even have in my I've talked to Jeff about this, but I have a, boxes in my garage that have old cassette tapes, and I'm sure there's a lot of three o'clock stuff on there. I just never threw it away. I definitely have a lot of live gigs. I mean, we would get them all the time. Um, you know, but um, some are good quality, some are not. I mean, that's why we put out the old Waldorf. It was pretty good quality and it was early and, you know, it had Will Glenn on it, which was cool. And uh, Suzanne, I think, played tambourine. I, really, I have no cassettes. I have really very few pictures. I, I guess I was just so filled with self-loathing that I just <laughs> never. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we did want to uh, thank you for for bringing that up, Lewis, we were definitely wondering about new material because some of your contemporaries, Dream Syndicate, Rain Parade, after 30 years, um, are releasing new material. So it sounds like there's a lot of logistics that could pro prohibit that from happening. Um, yeah, so in, yeah, in my mind, Jeff, um... It's funny when I think about music and I think about writing songs and writing parts and ideas and coming up with melodies and the way that I contributed to the band in the past, 
those ideas are just bubbling under the surface for me. They're right there. I feel like they're inside of me wanting to come out. Um, but I don't have a piano. I don't play the guitar much these days. And um, uh, lately, I mean, I do, but when I have to, but I don't just pick it up every morning. I look at it. I see it. I, I, I acknowledge it, but I don't actually, uh, you know, play with it. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I have, a, I have a strong creative streak in me still that feels like that there's a lot of things I'd like to do with music uh, in the future. And um, it's just a matter of making a decision to actually make it happen. You know, it's not a matter of uh, can I do it in my mind? I, I could be completely off mark. It's not a matter of can I do it? Do I have it in me? It's more of a matter of, you know, how would it, what would it look like? How would I approach it? Do I really want to do it? Because it's, it's, it, it's a, it's a dedication, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's not just logistical. It's, 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 it is that, but it's also a commitment, you know, to, to these guys and uh, to the band, if, if that's the band that I would want to do it with, then that would be the logical choice for me, obviously. Um, I feel like what we did as a band, uh, we're, we should all be very proud of. Uh, you know, I know I am. And uh, there, was a, there was a period there in a very short amount of time where the, the creative output was, we were at our peak, no question about it. And that included Earl Mankey's involvement and certainly Mickey's. Um, but... I always imagine, and I've said this to Michael and Danny before, like if we, if I, if we were to do something in my mind in the future, it would be as if the band wasn't trying to recreate what we did in the past. It's what we would do if we had stayed together as a band. Where would we be creatively, sonically, musicianship-wise, orchestrally? You know, what would it sound like if we, if we had continued to make records throughout time? And that, and there doesn't need to be a 40 year gap in between, you know, like we've been making records for 40 years. I mean, if we just continued on our path, what would the records start? What would they have started to sound like? And then if you intellectually think about it from that perspective, then maybe you start thinking beyond 16 tambourines. You're not trying to recreate what we've done in the past. You're actually trying to, 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 to do something new and challenging for ourselves. That's the way I view it right around. To become a prog band, you know, like it evolved into like something like, you know, topographical oceans by Yes or something, you know, with melody. I'm going to be uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, where you're going to be on. I'm not kidding. <laughs> but you're going to be on guitar, and I'm going to be on bongos, and we're going to sit on the floor and talk about yeah. your, um, you know, just token. Have more, you know, maybe get out of the so much of the three minute, fifty second time frame and stretch out but that's just me I don't know. well okay i'm gonna say one thing i think i brought this up before and i think the simplest thing here and i don't want to make this an hour conversation but the easiest bridge is for the four of us to get in the room work on a couple ideas just work on a couple ideas and demo them uh adam's got the ability to demo songs work on a couple ideas and if, and if those couple ideas spark interest we're not spending six months, eight months, a year, two years trying to see, like, do we have the uh, mojo? We go in and say, like, okay, what do you got? People, you know, Michael comes in, Lewis comes in, maybe Adam. Adam's written some interesting songs. Come in with some ideas and just see, like, what's there. Instead of, like, saying, okay, well, we're going to take this giant race, 
I think that that's just an, to me is a, a simpler way to kind of cross a bridge, try a couple ideas, don't even need to think any further. If it works, then it's like when we did Jet Fighter. We all walked in the room that day and we're like, what the hell did we just do? And then two weeks later, we played it in San Diego and two people clapped, you know, but but we were very inspired that day. So it, I think that would be the simple a way to do it without renting studio. Of Lewis and I uh, and Danny joining later have always been different records. We, we started out, I mean, I started out with Troy and Johnny Blazing with those four demos with those four songs that became the new alliance single and then mm -hmm. lewis came in and we did the salvation army which was a punk band and then we do the broke hoedown which is i guess more groggy or and then we do 16 tambourines which is like you know something and then we do a rabbit out traveling which is something completely different and then and then i got real crazy but that's a whole other story but um it's always been something different so i don't know i don't know what it would be yeah, I I love Lewis's thought pattern on that. That you're not recreating what you did, but that it would be something fresh and. Work. Well, how could you anyway? I mean, you can't, you know, unless you're just saying, let's try to rewrite Jet Fighter. That's like bands in the '60s where they'd have a hit and they basically just rewrite the song. Right. I, I don't think you know. I think creatively, an easy bridge is you try a couple. You, you spend a day or two on just ideas, riffs melodies and you walk out of the room and you're like that was okay or you go like this is worth exploring and you're not spending a bunch of money i know we can get funding to make a record that i'm not even worried about but um instead of like getting in a rehearsal room like let's you know just go in a room and see creatively if there's something that's everybody goes that's fun you know i mean that seems the simplest idea where you're actually having a, a minor little vacation, you know, from what you do every day and just working on some ideas. And you mentioned Adam, who was part of the three by four project that you guys recorded those three songs on. So um, Mickey would not be, have any interest if you were to do something like that? You know, I, I've talked to Mickey a lot lately um, because, um, and this has never really come up, right after the three o'clock, Mickey and I, uh, wrote like four songs together and um we actually were just cleaning them up because we had never done it and actually jason faulkner played on it uh it's faulkner plays guitar and bass he does some insanely crazy guitar solos so we talked about it and mickey actually it's very funny because mickey said you know i think i might have this interesting idea that he had just put away years and years ago and i said really and then i said i called him a week later i said what happened said, oh i listened to it it's not worth it's not worth anybody listening to, which is very Mickey as well. Um, but yeah, so we we were talking. He he does have access to a keyboard. So I, look, Mickey never. I don't think Mickey ever failed on the few ideas he brought in. They were all they were all ideas that became important. You know, so you know, I I would love if Mickey had an idea that inspired you know Michael and Lewis to uh, pick it up and take the gauntlet because. His writing was was unique in itself. It, it you know inspired I Go Wild, it inspired uh, Jet Fire, inspired Half the Way There. I mean, you know, so that's just my two cents on it. But yeah, Sarai and I are definitely big fans of the Quercio Gutierrez writing team. So if if there's any hope for this to happen, we're we're very excited. 
Yeah, I'm trying I, to give I, them I, an I offer have, here. I can comment on on one of the things you said, Jeff, and that is um, the closest thing the new material that the three o'clock has is that three by four record, right? And uh, but in, I mean, for all in, for all intent. Uh, it was new material, even though the songs were written by other people and they were written 30 years before, right? So we took, we tried to take a different approach to, to, to an existing song and so and make it our own. Um, and the process of doing that was not unlike, and we worked with Earl Mankey and it was not unlike the way we did it uh, before. Um, um, but I, you know, like I remember when I was in a band called Mary's Danish, and we made uh, a record called uh, American Standard, and Peter Asher was our producer. Uh, we recorded it up at um, Skywalker Ranch uh, when the LA riots were happening in Los Angeles. And what I love about that record is that everything on that record uh, that you hear was basically part of the initial track. There were very few overdubs, with the exception of guitar solos, some keyboard parts. And background vocals, and so we rehearsed the songs, very, uh, very with with the, with the tremendous amount of intent to try and figure out. Rather than sometimes you go into a studio and you have a track, you have a bass track, and then you layer on top of that and try and shine it up so that it has all the you know all the all the trimmings of a of a listenable song, you know. But other times you go into a studio, and it's it's almost like it's a live recording, and then you add certain things on it. The three o'clock tended to layer things on, uh, especially toward the last record, uh, Arrive Without Traveling. So um, I wouldn't want to take an approach like what we did to three by four. As much as I like the way it came out, I'd prefer that we that we take a more organic approach uh, mm -hmm. because then, you know, your musicianship sort of comes through and there's a there's sort of a reality uh, impression that 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 you get with that. Um, and I'm not talking about vocals being done live or, you know, not having layered background vocals and all that, but just the track itself so that the music really comes through. The rhythm tracks were done live. Uh -huh. And I mean, I overdubbed a lot of, per I remember on the Dream Syndicate song, I overdubbed a lot of percussion. Jeff, Jeff I, thought, I hear, we, Annie and I sat in Earl's kitchen where the drums, were recorded and I, you know, we we did the rhythm track, and um, I hear our my bass and drum interplay with, and I, I always wanted to go back, so I thought, well, we're going to erase the bass and go and 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 re-record it. And Earl was like, yeah, 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 we'll do that, we'll do that. But he was sneaky like that, <laughs> actually, because I can hear flubs in my bass playing because I'm singing, kind of singing and guiding the guys at the same time, and to this day I can hear. Oh, oh, because Earl was like, no, we're just going to keep your rhythm. We're going to keep that live rhythm track. You know, now that I look back on it, that's the way they did it back on all my favorite records back in the day, because those were live rhythm tracks. And then you just, you know, you didn't have the, you had four tracks. You didn't, you didn't have the, you know, the um, luxury of going back and, 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 and redoing, you know, and, and putting in, yeah, that was, you, you, stuck to what you put on you know usually it was the drums the bass the rhythm guitar and whatever else you know because you needed those other tracks to put your vocals on so but and i hear that earl do that a lot he would be like yeah the rhythm, rhythm tracks were done fast 
Yeah, so you guys bring up Earl Mankey, who is a integral part of the band in my mind, the, at least like some of the key recordings, including 3x4. But my understanding is he's retired now, so um, I don't think um, he would come out of retirement to record if... I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with Earl when we were doing the uh, Wild Honey event. <laughs> Tiger Law, you got to stop that. I'm sorry, that's my dog whining. Um, and um, I kept bringing it up. And he, he, you know, of course, I'm saying it and being warm and fuzzy and kidding, but there wasn't really something before his eyes to try to get him to do it. He right. seems very not working. I mean, you know, he's worked his whole life. I mean, he's probably spent more time in his studio than he, you could even imagine. Oh, so, you know, about the lyric sheet, Lisa Fancher just wrote the the Marty Van B stuff, and then Michael saw it and was like, what? We had no idea that that was going to be on there. That was just a Lisa thing. Uh, I, and again, again, too late. I mean, the record's done. Here it is. You know. So was that something that you were unhappy with when you saw that insert and... The fact that it was that had that fake signature, I always yeah. thought that. I thought Michael had something to do with that. No, it was supposed. The whole thing was supposed to be who's this guy and why is he there? I mean, it was supposed to, supposed to be like you know, just completely something thrown in, and and you know, so mm -hmm. I, I love I love history and stuff, and you know, who's that guy and then that's just some old president. Why? It's like I don't know. He's just there. <laughs> You know, it's, you know, I love I love those kind of things about you know art and music, you know, and and, and so she just kind of blew it with the making it a goof, you know. <laughs> and at least clue me in on the joke, you know, before you know everybody else sees it. But you know, things, yeah, are, I, things are how they are. So yeah, I think it affected Michael the most because it was his idea. It was a funny idea, and then. Lisa, you know, I mean, Lisa just slapped that on there, and we're like, okay, we have this weird cover, we've got this weird, you know, signature, and two days later, we were like touring. I mean, we we there wasn't even time to like debate anything. It was sort of like because you know, also we toured hard. I mean, you know, we played a lot of gigs, went to a lot of radio stations. We read we read the bad reviews that radio stations would write on our record. We read the good ones. Um, but yeah, it was just another thing. We just kind of trudged on. You know, there wasn't much we could do about it. So congratulations that you finally get what you wanted. <laughs> and the, the remastered version sounds fantastic. It really does. Um, and as unsettling as the cover is, I'm glad that you got <laughs> you got something that means something to you. Well, I don't have a record player oh, or a CD player, so I have not <laughs> heard it unsettling <laughs> well, well after seeing it's i say that because i mean it's a great photo but after living and right. living and breathing four decades of 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 seeing that and uh, i know you guys have emotions tied to it as a fan i have emotions tied to that cover and it's just so it when i first saw it it was like this isn't this is not 16 tambourines um well we should use there's that photo where i'm sort of uh it looks like i'm sexually uh coming up from behind to lewis yeah and they're laughing 
<laughs> that should have been the <laughs> That is a funny photo. But well, that's what happens when you get near the end of a photo session. I think there is some band members were drinking some beer, and uh, <laughs> you know, it looks like they aren't. They are all going to be gems. I mean, you know, and it's <laughs> tough because I I really loved Baroque Hoedown's cover, and I know it's funny because at the time, Lewis forgot his Beetle boots, and he said, "Oh damn, I have to wear my tennis shoes." But I think that's what's really cool. I think the fact you see that he's wearing tennis shoes. It makes so much more sense, you know. But I know at the time it was like, you know, well, we got our beetle boots and we're wearing them. But I love that it's that he's got the tennis shoes on, you know. It's uh, and that cover, I I love that cover. I okay. I have, yeah, it's a great photo. It's a great location. Chris Haston did a wonderful job on that. The back cover is really nice. Um, so you know, stuff happens. But uh, okay. I think we'll be happy when he hears it. Because it it is really, it's got a really nice warmth, especially the vinyl. It really, it, it's I, I don't know. I, Michael and I were 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 really pleased with the sound. I'm gonna have to bring my turntable over to Lewis's house so Lewis can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably the only way I'll ever hear it because. I I think you'll you be know. pleased. It sounds fantastic. And of course, the music on it is timeless. And one of, like I said earlier, one of the greatest musical recordings ever recorded in, in my mind. So congratulations to- Thank you for saying that, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. So ho hopefully there's more to come from the three o'clock. We'll see. Um, I like yeah. the idea- I'll come on, hey, come on. I'm here for you. Get on the bridge, we play a couple songs, see if it works. If not, we go on a merry way. We're going to play on a roof. Ah, rooftop. Yeah. <laughs> rooftop. There you go. You're going to play on a roof? Is that what you said? Yeah, like on top of a Wells Fargo building or something. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we're going to do it on top of uh, a, Sears build, a Sears building. There you go. Um, Anyways, we wanted to thank you guys so much for taking so much you. out of your time. Um, again, congratulations. I highly recommend that anybody, even if you already have this album, you have to get the remastered version because it just sounds fantastic. Um, Absolutely. And to Danny's What's point, the name of the, who, who did the master on the uh, vinyl? He's, he's a legend. Um, what's his name? Is it, uh, I always forget his name. Oh. Um, I don't even know who it says. Soraya, you have your insert? Oh, you, have right, you don't need the insert. It's right oh, on the Dave, cover. Dave Schultz. No, below it. Right? The vinyl version. Oh, yeah. uh, lacquer cut at Bernie Grunman Master. Yeah, Bernie Grunman. Oh, Bernie is like the best. You know, I mean, he's he's like he's like a legend. That's Seriously. Awesome. What were some other things that he he'd worked on? Uh, I mean, there's a trillion. I mean, there's Google. Okay. Okay. I mean, he's 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 pretty much almost retired. I think he's in his eighties. Wow. I mean, he's it's like, like wrecking, wrecking crew of mastering records. Yeah, I think Bernie Grumman and Bill Ludwig were two two big, you know, guys that mastered a lot of legendary records. And now he's got three o'clock under his belt. Yeah. A crowning achievement. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Really nice to see everybody. All right. Um, it's great. It's great. Great seeing you. Thank you, everybody. Jeff. Thank you, Soraya. Mike Thank and you. Great to see you. Thanks, everybody. Oxen.
Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. I heard it. Did you hear it? Talk I... soon, guys. I heard it. Yeah. Is it going to happen? I believe it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Danny has look, his way. <laughs> look, Lewis said, I have a lot of creativity and it's bubbling at the surface. Mm -hmm. Now, if I were a betting woman, and I am, <laughs> the fact that he said it in that way, and I don't know if I believe him entirely when he says, I see my guitar. I just don't play it. I think he doesn't play it at the same volume, perhaps like the same amount of time that he used to. And, you know, he's got a job that requires a lot of his time and, you know, onward and upward. But the fact that he says he's got a lot of creativity, I think this is a, it, the door is open. And I think Danny and Michael are going to walk through that door. And look, you and I have said it, Dream Syndicate, what, in the past five years, it's been production, right? Yeah. Rain Parade. Uh, okay, and this goes to Lewis's point. I don't want to recreate what was. I want to hear what we would sound like now. Where would we have evolved? Perfect. And when you listen to Rain Parade, Rain Parade's done that. Yep. They don't sound like, oh, we're going to take emergency third rail and then just go boop, boop, 2023. No, they've really kind of explored and stretched and done different things that we hadn't heard before, sound-wise. Yep. I think three o'clock can do the same thing. And, you know, they've they've explored different things, you know, and they have a wealth, a wealth of stuff. Just their own musical interests and knowledge. I don't know, Jeff. I, I'm very optimistic. Me too. And thinking about where Lewis's career, musical career went up until um, he stopped playing and the things that Michael had done with Jupiter Effect and Permanent Green Light, I honestly think that if they were to do another record, it could probably be their best. Honestly, I, I think because of where they grew individually and bringing that back together. And I, I'm completely honest when I say that writing team of Quercio and Gutierrez is fantastic. I mean, they're like, it's Jagger, Richards, Lennon, McCartney. I mean, those guys together, um, even if their names weren't tied on to songs, but what they brought to to those songs with the three o'clock mm -hmm. and everything that they um how they grew individually after they were writing together and bringing that back together i honestly think there's the potential for the best three o'clock work ever i i think i th i 100 agree with you 100 and there's nothing that lewis Danny or Michael said today that doesn't make me think that something isn't on the horizon. And look, this album is real. You and I can't gush enough about it. And it's really kind of, 
this was one of a couple of albums that really just kind of it was the portal we walked through right um but i also think they have a lot to say that hasn't been said musically and i'm ready for it ready for it just hearing lewis say hey i got ideas and how about mickey mariano and danny talking about new ideas so jeff the things that you know make me be optimistic were said today yep yeah. i mean our our love for the band our love for the members of the band you know uh, people know and you know we we gush like you know like we totally fangirl but i really think today i heard i heard words that really really give me really make me look forward and then i'm here for it and just to hear danny say let's just get together and knock it about i'm all uh can we be flies on the wall <laughs> no right because probably wouldn't be the best thing but <laughs> well but i'm yeah do they have cheerleaders at at, at football practice or, I'm sure they did. You know, or do they, sure they do, or do they, or do they only bring the cheerleaders out for the the actual games themselves? So. Well, they bring them out, but the cheerleaders have to practice. I mean, we need practice too. Yes, we do. Yes, but we do. um, there were there were a lot of things I learned today about sixteen tambourines that I had not heard before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the insert for one, yeah. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> But yeah. I love the way Michael said it. he goes, the goal was to have this guy there and people go, who is this? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. You got to, you know, talk about it. And that's something that I enjoy about this cover. I know, I know your opinions about it. We're not going to go there, but I like the concept. Yeah. However you flip it, however yeah. you pull it out, however you open the CD. That begins your that walks you through that that musical journey. And it's like those books. I don't know if you ever read those books when you were a kid where you could kind of determine the path of the story. And it's like your uh, own if, you, if you turn left, turn yeah. to you know page 95. If you turn right, or, or like if you go through the tunnel, turn to the uh Choose your own like, adventure series. There you go. Yes. There are I'm not to geek out, but there's there's this one writer from Argentina, and he had kind of a similar idea, where it was kind of like he said, um, "I'm not going to tell you how to listen to this. I'm not going to tell you how to read this book. Here's a possible map, but really, it's up to you. You make the order, oh. and nothing went in chronological order. And so, anytime you would read it, the expectation was you had a different experience. You had a different um, approach and a different set of information that came out of it. And that's how I see this, you know, constant flipping or just opening or mystery pieces. I like that. I thought it was, and the fact that I like this idea that Lewis mentioned that they were modified mods. Yep. And that's modified how, I, 
that's how I knew them. I'm, I mean, it was like when we would go to shows, there would be scooters everywhere, right. skin, skinny ties and beetle boots. And yep. Yeah. These are fantastic photos, by the way. No, uh, they're. I, and I love, I, I love the idea. It, but it's almost like, don't mess with my 16 tambourines on one hand. Right. So there's that. When the day ends, it always goes back to this, right? But there is no denying the brilliance of Bill Inglot and what he was able to do with this remaster. Yeah, The sound is amazing. And the songs that I've loved before, I love even more. And there are other songs that have really come back to life for me. And it's just because the remaster is really well, well done. Yeah. Danny said the word warmth, and I think that's a, a good way to describe Perfect. it. There's also like an extra clarity that I hear where there's, I think, a little bit more separation. Um, and I think it's probably done as far as EQing wise. So the, the not separation as far as like speakers, but separation as far as tone. So I think it it has um, a little bit more power. It, if you want to use that word, but it's it's so much more, the clarity is so much more at a higher level as well as um, the warmth. Um, All right, Jeff, definitely. last question from me to you. If you're Earl Mankey and you get this call from three o'clock, do you take it? I want to hear the demos. Uh, I, I totally respect, um, as we've talked about many times with Michael Steele, like she's, she wants to step away and have a life that was her life for so many years, music, and now it's time to live a different life. So I totally respect um, that he he wants to step away. Um, my hope would be that having a couple of years um, stepping away from that and these guys who we've talked with Earl um, personally, right. as well as we've heard him in other interview sessions, how much he adores um, these guys as individuals and as a band and he likes working with them I could actually see that happening um, so if it were me and I heard demos and I thought this has a lot of potential we can make the best three o'clock release um, hun I'm coming out of retirement for one more record but <laughs> the boys will be in the kitchen don't yeah, worry about yeah, it <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, I'll be back in the yacht in, in two weeks so uh, so yeah yeah Let's do this. I feel I'm. I always love talking to Danny and Michael and Lewis. Yeah. And today, no different. I don't want to say anything else. Mi gente, Groove on, Paisley people. <laughs> I play tennis four days a week now, and uh, on Thursdays it's all women and me, and they they, they accept me, and I love it. Uh, so they uh, call they call themselves Louis Louis Angels. Ah, uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It's me and like seven other women. I and, love uh, that. Just, you quit, you of fun. Fun.